So hello and welcome to the Resilience Research Group's monthly podcast series. Uh, each month we will be recording a, a panel of researchers, organisations or the public to discuss one topic related to resilience. In this podcast, we'll be discussing measures of resilience. So I'd like at this point to ask uh, if this week's panel could please introduce yourself. So could you please tell us your name, uh, where you're coming from, and very briefly what your field is. So for example, uh, hello, I'm Dr. Jennifer McGowan. I'm a lecturer at UCL, and my field is health and positive psychology. Hi, my name is Steph Carhill, um, and I am at the um, University of Manchester and I'm uh, in the final year of my PhD. My PhD is on biosocial predictors of resilience to childhood adversity. Hello everyone, my name is Dr. Danny Liu. I am an adjunct research professor in the Department of Psychiatry at University of Western Ontario in Canada. And my background is in stress and resilience. I'm uh, Kate Bennett, I'm professor of psychology at the University of Liverpool. My interests are in um, ecological models of resilience, uh, particularly in uh, later life, um, but also in relationship to COVID and in relationship to this particular podcast, conducted a systematic review of resilience measures uh, about 10 years ago, which sounds a bit old now, but it's still read a lot. <laughs> I believe I myself have read it, Kate, so it's very relevant today. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's really great to meet you all and to have you here today. So I'd like to start the discussion off with just um, a very broad question to get things going. So my first question today is, uh, why do we aim to measure resilience? So I think, I mean, one of the reasons that people want to measure resilience is when they're looking at identifying whether some, some factors influence whether people are, are resilient or not but also whether particular interventions are successful. So it's important to, uh, in quant quantitative studies, to measure resilience so that you can look at what are the ant antecedents and what are the um, consequences. Um, but there are different ways of uh, measuring resilience. Thank you very much, Kate. And just for any non-academic audience, can you define antecedents for us? Well, really, it's the things that come before. So it's the things that predict that. So that might be, um, as Steph has talked about, adversity in in, in childhood, but it could be uh, your social class. It could be previous life life events that you have uh, experienced. Those kinds of things. Thank you very much. And I can see Jenny's unmuted. Would you like to go next? Sure, I can go next. Um, so. Our interest in measuring resilience comes from our general interest in, in resilience overall, right? We, we want to be able to capture um, a construct that roughly defines basically our capacity to respond to the different challenges and adversities we may encounter. And anytime that our interests lie in that, we need to better operationalize and come up with a way to measure it. Um, the challenging part with the measuring of resilience though is about trying to navigate do do we think of it as something that can be you know expanded or developed or learned 
do we think of it as something inherent within the individual? And so based on the way that we conceptualize resilience to be, we need to be able to measure it in a way that conforms to that conceptualization. Thank you very much. So we talked about um, how if we want to know what resilience is, we have to have a, a measure for it. If we want to know what it's related to, we need to be able to measure associations between it. And depending on how you define resilience, just something we talked about a lot in our previous podcast, we want to know, you know, can it change over time, for example? Um, some people would also say that you want to be able to measure resilience so you can see if there are differences in resilience between different populations and such. But one of the, the things that has plagued so far resilience literature, as, as Jenny has pointed out, is the definition of resilience is so diverse that there are a huge number of different ways of defining what it is and therefore whether it exists. And this has ended up with a huge number of measures of resilience in the field. And I don't know if this is common in other fields. I've never met a measure that has so many different ways of measuring it as resilience does. Why do you think there are this many different measures of resilience in the field? I mean, I think fundamentally resilience is, um, as Jenny has said, in a way it's contested. And so there will be people who think of it as a trait and there'll be people who think of it as an outcome. I think that there are the both both can both exist simultaneously then there may be a trait uh, but that uh, is not the not the be all and end all and because it's contested because people have different views about it not just in terms of at the individual level but also at the community and the, and the social level there's a real issue about definition and about what we what we as researchers mean by resilience and that's that's often different from the way in which society or the media or the general public think about resilience. And so until you've actually defined your terms and you've de defined the scope of your, of your concept of resilience, then it's difficult then to identify a measure which covers all of those, all of those things, either in terms of a, you know, a measurement scale or indeed in terms of something where you're using, if you like, a proxy for resilience. So until you've defined your, you defined your concept and fought, fought against those other people who have a different view of it, then, then it's really difficult to, to have a kind of a universal, a gold standard measure of, of resilience, which certainly my understanding is that there isn't, there certainly isn't one that, that meets all of my criteria when I'm looking at, at, re at resilience. I, I actually, I couldn't agree more. Um, <laughs> it, the, the challenge with the measurement of resiliency as well is, is also its intended use. Um, I would add to that, uh, what Kay had said is that um, oftentimes resilience is thought of almost as a secondary outcome or as a secondary variable of interest in research. And so, um, it'll get kind of thrown in as, as part of a larger investigation, but not clearly defined from the, the very beginning of the conceptualization of research. And so then you have a lot of research that measures resilience, but not certainly not from the perspective that it ought to be or is not aligned. So you have, for example, an intervention that is looking to reduce um, depressive symptoms and maybe increase resilience, quote unquote, right? And 
maybe the researcher's selective measure that is a little bit more actually trait-based. And so then there's already a mismatch between what um, you're measuring in terms of resiliency and what you might infer to be the outcome given whatever that you might capture. And so that, that misunderstanding of resiliency and that mismatch can happen at the beginning and that can also influence the way that you conceptualize or interpret your results. And I should also caveat to say that the reason why it's also contended a lot is that it's often based on self-report. There's no clinician administered measure of resilience. Um, and we certainly don't take you know, biological or physiological samples to indicate resilience. There's some research that looks at resiliency um, at the cardiovascular or at the, um, at the gene level, but there are few and far in between. And in fact, majority of the study does focus on measurement of resilience from a self-report perspective. So you've said, uh, Kate has said that there's so many measures of resilience because it's dependent on how resilience is being defined or used by the authors. And uh, Jenny has said that, of course, there are many different ways that resilience is, is seen and used by different authors. And I'm trying not to get too far into that discussion because we have talked about that quite a lot in previous podcasts about how many different definitions of resilience there are. But Jenny, you said something really interesting there, which you said that one of the problems with current measures of resilience is that they are self-report rather than clinician measures. Could you tell us what the benefits of a clinician measure would be? I, I want to caveat this whole discussion to say that um, it's not to say that we can't, you know, find a way to implement, but the problem with resiliency is that it captures a construct that is very far from, you know, clinical um, DSM or ICD defined sort of set of symptoms. Uh, and in fact, it's, it's speaking quite to the opposite, right? It's, it's talking about our capacity for growth, our capacity to respond to challenges, to bounce back, to recover. And so how do you measure the opposite of that? Um, and, and of course, one way is to kind of look at it by proxy, right? So if certain people have a certain level of functioning or a certain level of recovery, we can call it resiliency. But then when you try to tap specifically into the construct, as opposed to measuring by proxy, um, oftentimes than we do in fact rely on self-report. Uh, and so the standardization of these self-report measures are, are challenging both because you have to first develop a measure that speaks to a coherent construct but then without a level of objectivity or standardization in the way that it can be administered, there's a lot of flexibility, right? You can ask people verbally, you can give them a pen and paper skill to fill out, um, you can ask them through online questionnaires, but at, at the end of the day, it's still open to interpretation by the person who's filling it out. And if they think that they're having a good day, maybe they have a high resiliency that day of answering. But at the end of the day, it's still a lot of room for interpretation. Whereas if you rely on more standardized practices of capturing, for example, clinician administered or looking at um, biophysiological indicators or looking at more objective indicators from a structural um, point of view, then those give you better sort of milestones to contextualize your responses to. Um, whereas 
self-reports are just much more open to interpretation and there's a whole variable of, of ways that you can interpret a single question. For me, well, I guess I'm, I am much more comfortable with the, um, if you like, the personal experience of, of resilience. So I, I, I probably would never think that a clinician's interpretation of whether somebody's resilient or not is 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 better than subject experience subjective experience of of um, resilience so i kind of i would come from a different a, a different perspective i think one of the things perhaps is important is that you can use a kind of triangulation so i i rarely i do a lot of qualitative work but i rarely ask people about whether or not they're resilient I operationalize criteria in order, in a sense, to to measure or at least to categorize people as, for example, resilient, non-resilient, and perhaps coping, but not. So, so for me, that's kind of the objective nature of things. It, it doesn't sit so easily with me. But I think you can also look at, you know, operationalizing and therefore measuring, and you can use, you know the measures that are available, or you can use proxies. So for example, where I don't have anything better, I might use, you know, the absence of um, the absence of depressive symptoms combined with the absence of symptoms of anxiety. I'm doing that currently with some COVID work and, and some replications between Italy and then the, U the UK. I'm doing doing that now so that maybe what you can get at is by using multiple measures. A, a sort of a, a better uh, a better overall assessment but I think one of the things that's important about this is about resilience as opposed to other things like the measurement of depression or anxiety is that in a sense how a person feels and responds their subjective experience of that is actually crucial because it doesn't matter if a clinician says by all of these standards you're resilient but you don't feel resilient, then you don't feel resilient. It doesn't matter what the clinician says, if you see what I mean. That's because it's the resilience that is driving the behaviour. So that subject experience is, in a sense, fundamental to me, as opposed to some objective measure. I just want to say I, I agree on all levels with everything that you said, Kate. Um, in terms of the, the difficulties, uh, and I think where I was coming from is also from a point of advancement in the science of resilience, is that because of all the individual experiences of subject, and, and they're all subjective, is that it's hard to then kind of pull together and truly pull from that research in a way where we can either replicate it or we can advance it forward or we can merge findings. Um, it, so much of the challenge in the literature is what we're finding in you know one group that might be indicators of resilience, so to speak, doesn't necessarily transfer over to the next group. Um, and for whatever reason, right? It, we know it's a subjective experience. We know that everyone handles challenges differently, whether it's due to emotional, uh, regulation due to coping, due to access to resources, due to the way they see themselves. All of these contribute to that process of being able to respond to any stressor or adversity. And the problem with synthesizing that literature then is then how do we take findings from one study or a group of study 
right? And then apply them such that we can promote resiliency, we can look for these indicators, we can um, facilitate or teach them to, to children going through difficult transitions, right, or, or whatever. But the application of that knowledge has become so much more difficult if there's such heterogeneities in the literature in terms of what we find. Um, I'd like to say that, I, yeah, I agree with both of you as well. Um, I think that like extracting like a quantitative measure of resilience that's not rooted in any one definition or measured by one static tool is a step towards being able to do those things that you said, Jenny, is being able to um, compare between studies and, and be able to apply it. But again, obviously within resilience research, that's very difficult with all these different ways of measuring it. Um, so, and again, with the self-report, if you are feeling better, uh, more resilient on one day than another, then you will answer differently. So obviously it needs to be like longitudinally measured and then it can be used as an ongoing measure of change through any sort of therapeutic processes or um, the ability to assess an individual's resilience at the outset of any sort of intervention can you know, provide a beneficial starting point. Um, and, in, and, it, and on individual focused care, because really the self, sorry. <laughs> I, I, so yeah, that's the end of what I was gonna say, sorry. Oh, thank you very much. So a few different opinions going on here, based I think mainly on the fields that we come from and the measures um, that we use, either quantitative or qualitative, clinical or, or personal. Uh, so I'd like to ask um, a little bit more of a, a stranger question perhaps is it a good or a bad thing for the field that we have so many different measures of resilience is it um, a bad thing as as jenny has been saying because it makes it difficult to compare across studies or as steph was saying it means that you can't sort of look at, look at things across time in the same way or is it that um, as i believe kate was suggesting that um because resilience is so different depending on the person experiencing it or across, for example, cultures and community, which we know are a large part of resilience. That in fact, we need a wide range of measures in order to fit one to the correct situation. Well, I, 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 th I mean, I think that what's important, so I think it's useful to have a, rain, a, range, of, a range of measures. You don't want a plethora of, 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 of measures that aren't, so here, if we're talking about measurement scales, as, as an example, what you want to have is well-designed, psychometrically robust measures. And, the, you know, the review that, that I did in 2011 suggested that there wasn't, that there were, there were problems with, with all of them. There was nothing that was, that was ideal. Um, and that makes it, that makes it difficult. So if you have a lot, even more than than we looked at there poorly designed measures then that's not a good thing you might as well not have any measures at all if, if, if they're not doing what they're supposed to do and they're not reliable or valid but it's also important that you have a measure that is measuring what you need it to measure so you know i i've i've been in this position rec recently with work where we might have one measure because you can only fit one measure into a large into a large study particularly when we in in the covid work that i've been doing and then it and then it doesn't do what you want it to do 
and then that's that's a problem because it's a it's a kind of it's it's a way it's a waste of time both for the participants who have to fill in the measure and for the researcher who then actually can't use them use the measure so i think you need to be thoughtful about what measure you're using and we should be striving to have if you like better measures to address the address issues of reliability and and uh, and validity but you don't want it sort of so narrow that you that that basically you're having to resort to a measure that really doesn't do the job you need it to do so it's a I think it's a sort of mixed views you know you need to think really which is the most appropriate measure if there isn't an appropriate measure then you may have to design one but you need to design it from first principles starting with you know the qualitative data and then working through all of the stages of, of, of measurement of measurement design and I think when you look at the, the measures that I've reviewed most of them were not designed properly from the first from the from sort of first principles yeah and and I think it also comes down to the individual researchers selecting those measures as well is that do they have a sufficient understanding of resiliency such that they're selecting their tools based on the development and the original intention of that measure but also are you coming from it from a point of I want to best capture this construct within my study or are we capturing um, and studying constructs in the hopes of advancing an entire discipline or such that our findings map on well to an entire area. Um, and, and this is maybe like a, a subtle nuance in the way that you approach the research question, but I can think of it like for example, do I select a measure that I feel like best captures everything that I think of resiliency for this research? Or do I select a measurement tool that best speaks to the literature because it's more frequently used? It'll map on better to existing findings. Um, even though that's a subtle difference, I, I think the implications of what you do with those findings are very, are very different. And, and another challenge with the measurement of resiliency that's almost similar to if you ever look at a construct like psychological flexibility that's another very difficult construct to to measure and um, and in clinical work for example using acceptance commitment therapy that's one of the the key processes and so you always want to try to capture psychological flexibility but the problem is how do you do that through self-report right if you're inflexible you come in you're like I'm okay. I'm doing okay. I don't. I don't have any stuck thoughts. I'm doing great. And then, say if you go through act, right? You go through your six week intervention, and all of a sudden you become more psychologically flexible. But the nuance of that process is that you're more reflective. You might still rate yourself the same, but that evaluation component has completely changed and transformed in a way that is simply not captured. And so. I wager that similar challenges exist in the area of resiliency, right? How, how do you see yourself um, in overcoming that challenge or in, in coping with that challenge? Um, and how do you respond to that, to those questions as a respondent? So great, at, at both levels, at the researcher level, at the individual level, there are challenges. 
Kate, I'd like to pick on something that you've said a couple of times now, which is that um, there is currently no gold standard measure of resilience. And certainly uh, in your review and in other reviews as well, this is uh, a very commonly held belief that, that no resilience measure currently does what we want it to, essentially in terms of measuring resilience. Um, what, in your opinion, do you think um, a good measure of resilience should include? So I think, um, so in a way, one of one of the things with the measures that, uh, you know, I reviewed and I realised that it's, you know, that it is an old, it is an old pa paper now, but it's it's used a lot, is in, in many respects, it was the way in which these measures were designed. So that what you need to start off with is, is thinking about the design of your your scale development in the first instance and the you know the concepts that you want to measure for me one of the reasons that these measures well they don't do what i want them to do is it's primarily that they're measuring individual level factors my approach to resilience is is uh, is an ecological um, they sometimes have some elements of social support, but not always and not very well. They measure psychological in individual variables, but they don't, they're not measuring other variables, which I think are important, like, um, you know, material resources or um, health resources. At a community level, they're not, they're not looking, generally speaking, beyond, beyond the family to things like um, social participation, which I think is important, or to neighborhood 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 types of things. And then at the societal level, they don't measure anything. So they're not measuring access to health and welfare services. They're not um, measuring things like, um, you know, cultural factors. They're not measuring things such as uh, as religion, which in some of the work that I've done in Colombia is important, whereas it's less important here. So they're not they're not tackling all the things that I would want if I were if if I'm looking at my conceptualization of, of resilience. But that might not matter if the ones that we had had been designed right from the beginning, prop you know, kind of properly in the sense I mean that's the that's the, you know, psychometric and scale de development is a complex thing and you know that's Oh, and I suppose the other thing is that I would want a measure which is applicable across age groups. Um, so that's quite a lot of the, certainly the early measures are sort of focusing on young people. And so the questions you might ask of a young person are not relevant or may not be relevant to somebody who's 75, 80, 85. Um, so I'd want, I'd want something that was, you know, that was more was more applicable um, and perhaps responded to the kinds of challenges that you need to have faced in order for you to be resilient, which are ones which go across the life, you know, the lifespan. I, I really love your conceptualization of resilience, Kate. Um, and in fact, I encountered the same challenges when I was um, reviewing the measures. And of course, your review helped. <laughs> um, it really was the basis, right? And the the exact words taken out of your review of that article is that there's no current gold standard for measures of resiliency. Um, so when I was doing my PhD comprehensive, I thought 
then how will I capture resilience? I better just, I, I need to first orient myself conceptually to a framework that makes sense. Um, and then this is when I realized there's actually not a lot of frameworks of resiliency either. There's measures, but these measures are not really based on a particular theory or thought or model that clearly identifies what resilience is or isn't and the processes that underlie that. Um, and so I set out to, to create a model that takes into account individual level factors that make up your resilience as well as structural factors, ecological factors. But then also at the same time, not only is it just how well you can access resources, but it's also about what we need a resiliency to do. And that's also another challenge too, is that you can think of resiliency in dealing with chronic illness. You can think of resiliency in bereavement. You can think of resiliency in surviving a terrorist attack, right? Or, or a pandemic that's, you know, we, we, we hear the word so often now in the context of the current pandemic, but all of those contexts are different. And so then how do you utilize your resources to respond to that particular need? And there's certainly a lack of frameworks that, right, that conceptualize that in that regard. And so that's kind of what I set out to do in my work is to create that model that both focuses on resource access, as well as response to different kinds of needs and putting that together to determine your resiliency at that time. I think there needs to be that negotiation in the measurement of resiliency. There's one thing to add to that, which we've uh, we've come across in our work, so that it's not just the the availability of resources, mm -hmm. but also the willingness to access those resources. Exactly, a hundred percent, totally agree with you. And and Kate, out of curiosity, so when you come across those kinds of the the use of resources, um, they're they're very different too, right? I, it's what we're finding too in the in, in my work too is that you might be willing to access or have this level of external resource access but say if you it, it's not to the advantage to use it in that specific challenge then you might find yourself not as resilient in that moment so yeah the, the example that it's come up most most noticeable is in dementia care where mm -hmm. Uh, carers may have access to well in the in the, in the UK with our somewhat broken but still still it exists um, uh, social and healthcare system. So you might have the ac access to respite care, and indeed a carer might need to access that um, in order to prevent themselves becoming unwell and needing care themselves. But they're unwilling to make to avail themselves of that because that seems like a a failure in their in the kind of you know till death do us part kind of you know I'm going to care and so those things might be available or a good ex another example a similar example is is for where you've got financial resources where you think oh you know having lot having more money in general is a good thing. You've got less. You've got less problems with your health. But if you're caring with somebody with with dementia, having money doesn't make much difference because you haven't got any time to spend that money. Yeah. So, it's not these these things are, are complex and they need to be understood at the individual at the individual level because 
people's responses people's responses and needs that are different and, and not just what their needs but also uh, it's important to take into account what they think and so again that comes back to that issue about who's making the assessment if a clinician is making an assessment about respite care and the measurement says that person needs respite care um, for the sake of the carer for example mm-hmm. but the carer doesn't want to do it well you know who trumps who in that exactly. in that scenario exactly or a classic case is you know if yeah if if you have all that resources that you can access but really the the challenge itself requires you to engage in you know interception or deep reflection or overcoming your own challenges with identifying in your community yeah you could have lots of money but it it, it just doesn't map onto resilience processes within that specific context. Or another similar challenge with measurement is, right, what if you're determined to be resilient in one context? Say you're going through a loss of employment and, you know, on all the objective indicators you seem to be doing well, you're, right, you, you got a new job relatively quickly, you're not very emotionally fatigued or burned out from the process, you're, you're healthy, you're doing okay. Um, and then most of us would think that person to be resilient and say if they experience a bereavement of a close family member and then oh I thought you're resilient why right why doesn't the science suggest that you would deal with the second adverse uh, adverse event just as well as the first so (laughs) because it's so contact specific and it's so individualized that it it becomes that much more difficult to to really create this uniformity in, in research. So we've kind of come back round to the fact that it, it might be too context dependent and individual to have a measure that we can use across all of resilience. But at the same time, we've identified we want, um, want individual differences, we want resources, we want structural factors included in the definition, we want uh, access, culture, community, and religion are all things that both Jenny and Kate have identified as things they would like in a good measure of resilience. How can we um, come to a conclusion about all of these things and what we should be measuring in resilience if we both acknowledge that it it has to include everything, but also that it has to be different for each individual person? But in a way, it's not about having, so you might have your, 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 your single measure. We might be able to work together and to have a measure which is, certainly better than what we already have that covers the things that we want to cover but then you have to combine it with with those other things so you need to have you know whenever you're uh, making you know making predictions or your model you're modeling resilience then you need the other you need um you need the other variables in there too so you know you need age and gender as as, as obvious ones because um you know, certainly my work, older older people are more resilient than younger people. My work in, in different different samples across different different countries suggests that men tend to be more resilient than uh, than women. Um, you might want then to have um, you know measures of so, for example, in a paper that's that I have, um, which is looking at the COVID pandemic in in Italy, the number of children in the household is a is a predictor of poorer resilience so that you if you if as, as a, 
as long as you're bringing in the things that might influence it, they might be predicting resilience or they might be, you know, might co-vary with resilience, then you're going to get, hopefully, a sort of a good enough prediction of, of resilience. The problem is if you, if you have, in a sense, so if you have too many variables, that's problematic for interpretation. But if you have too few, then really you're not able then to identify the the, the, the kind of context that, that that predict predict resilience. So it's about having, you know, in a sense, mul multiple different variables or multiple measures. And as I said, that that triangulation, which I think is important. Yeah, I completely agree. Again. Um... And, and just to add to that too, is that we, we might think that resilience can be measured using this singular measure. And, and it doesn't need to be, right? It, whether it's triangulation or modeling, um, but the most important thing is to have a clearly defined framework that you understand resiliency from and that you can position your findings in relation to because that's also important. Just because you find, for example, Kate, your your two examples, the the gender differences and and the number of children. Similarly, in my in my work, I found that males typically self-report higher levels of resiliency um, across the board as an overall. But they're they're very distinct in terms of you know what types of higher levels of resiliency. I see it more in terms of accessing external resources and um, right and health related behavior sometimes but maybe not maybe those gender differences disappear once you look at things like emotion regulation or flexibility in terms of navigating coping strategies um, so so having a larger framework to better position those findings or even the number of children um, most likely it's because of their needs their demand on their resources increase with every child and so therefore it's not not that you know more children lead to less resiliency is that more children might be more taxation on your resources so having a framework that recognizes both the types of resources that support resiliency but also the type of needs that deplete resiliency at any different level i think that's super important and then how you capture it is to then build out that model have the different indicators as you need for that model that makes sense for your research questions so that you can kind of feed your findings back into it and, and position it in a way that makes sense. It comes back to something that was said, I think Jenny said at the beginning, which is that, you know, really what you need to do is you need to start from theory. If you start from theory and you think, okay, what am I, what am I, what is my research question? Or if you're coming from a qualitative point of view what's your research question and I'm going to develop theory that's um, <laughs> also important but you know if you're if you're working in a quantitative fashion you start from your theory you have your your research questions and then you can think what are the, th the appropriate things to measure the problem with a lot of work is that resilience is just thrown in it's often poorly poorly conceptualized so when you you know, in a couple of systematic reviews I've done, the measurement issues was one, and then an issue, um, a systematic review I did of personal and individual resilience. What you find is that actually quite a lot of them are not really measuring resilience. They're measuring something, 
something that might be a kind of general well-being but it's not well defined so you know people it's you need to really go back to 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 the beginning to think what's the research question what's my theory and then what the appropriate measurement um tools to do it and then we'll get better at doing sort of if you like the basic science and then we'll be better at developing interventions if that's if that is what is you know people's motivations to do but until we get to that position there's going to be a lot of less good science out there i think and that sounds more or less like um as some people have defined the resilience field as a field in its infancy that if we can't begin by deciding what resilience is then how can we in fact develop a measure that we are happy appropriately measures it and defines it and uh, added on to that what you've both said about there's so many extra factors around resilience that impact how resilient someone is in a specific situation that also need to be taken into account in the model it sounds like we still have a, a very long way to go before we can create kate's gold standard measure <laughs> So um, I think I am going to finish with one final question for you both, um, which is if for your personal, your own work, what resilience measures do you use? So I, um, I tend to, so if it's qualitative work, then I have an operationalized uh, set of criteria, which comes from Wendell's definition of resilience. When I'm working quantitatively, I tend to use a depression, absence of anxiety sort of proxy. And then when in studies, I so I might use as a measure of uh, trait resilience, uh, the brief resilience scale, because it's brief. And so but I but I only use that as a as a predictor. Well, occasionally it's been used as, as when you're wanting to predict trait resilience, but generally speaking, I'm using that as a predictor and not as an outcome. I guess for me, um, so my interests lie in kind of the, the, the modeling of resiliency and, and, and model building and scale building. So um, so to follow up on the, that model that I created, the multi-system model of resilience that takes into account both the resources and the needs, uh, we did develop a measurement tool. It's by no means perfect. <laughs> or you know even close to the standard but it is something that I continue to work on and to build upon and the goal really is that I want to truly capture the multi-dimensionality of resiliency from both a needs perspective which I think is so important and a little bit missing as well as from the availability of resource perspective so um, continuing to redefine th what that might look like within a larger framework and um, refining that measurement tool, but also using proxy measures um, to, to best fit that model. That's how I'm capturing resiliency. Fantastic. Thank you very much, uh, everyone, for being involved today. I think uh, that concludes the time we have for today's podcast, but I'd like to thank our panel once again for being here and sharing their points of view. And thanks to our audience also for listening. So thank you very much. It was really great to see you both again and to hear uh, about your work and how it relates to this field. The Resilience Research Group is a global group of researchers, practitioners, 
charities and organisations dedicated to developing high-quality collaborative resilience research. Our aims are to improve access to, understanding of and quality of resilience research and to support and aid our members in effectively developing and disseminating their research. To find out more or to get involved, contact us on Twitter or LinkedIn.